Welcome to the Brunch and Slay podcast, your weekly dose of inspiration. Well, we remember that if she can, I can, we all can. I'm your host, Amira Sain, founder of Brunch and Slay, a lifestyle brand created to inspire women to live their best life every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I am giddy as a schoolgirl. I hope you can hear all the joy in my voice because today I have someone on the show who I have been wanting to talk to for a while. I would say some years. And uh, it's because I love what she does. I love her brand. I love her product. And I, you guys, if you've tried it, you love it too. Uh, Miss Tanya Faulkner is a serial entrepreneur. She's a world traveler and she is the founder of one of my favorite bottles of bubbles, La Grand Cortage. Hello, Hello, hello. (laughs) And it's like, I appreciate the enthusiasm. And yes, you have been a brand fan for a long time. And likewise, it's like brunch and sleigh and bubbles. It doesn't get much better than that. It's the perfect partnership, right? Hello. Yes. (laughs) It's all about that state of mind, right? (laughs) And God knows we can't all get wait to get back to brunching. Oh my gosh. So, you know, one of your sayings is a champagne state of mind, right? So like that right there, let's, let's just start there because I love everything about that statement. I want to know where it came from and what a champagne state of mind means to you. Well, I think um, we all have choices and so many people are like, oh, I have to. And I like to reframe and say, I get to. And when you stop and look at life in general, um, we can show up and have kind of be negative or we can just say, you know what, I'm going to be as effervescent and sparkling as I can and approach it with as much zeal and enthusiasm. And so I just think if you approach everything with sort of that quote, champagne state of mind, it just changes the perspective and the enthusiasm um, comes through to other people too. And I've had many people say, it's like, oh, you sort of personify your brand and your bubble bubbliness. And I was like, well, it's hopefully one begets the other, but also it's, you know, it's, it's an attitude and a choice about how you approach things. Well, I have to agree. Your energy is everything, right? I can I can see the joy in your eyes, and I, you know, you guys can't see her, but I mean, come on, champagne state of mind. Is, I, I'm I'm going to steal that, by the way. <laughs> have at it. We need to. Uh, it, I hope it's infectious and it translates through. And you know, I cer- certainly some days I say I'm living the dream, and other days it's living the nightmare, especially during COVID. <laughs> oh man, yes, we have to jump into that. So I want to go to the beginning because you know, so many people. Uh, tend to, you know, we all have dreams and we have aspirations of what we want to do. And, you know, but a lot of people don't implement, right? What made your idea go from a dream or an idea to a true reality? Not only did you do it, but you stuck with it, you market it and you are killing it. So let's talk about that. Well, I would say I have a high risk tolerance compared to most. I will set the stage and this is my third business, but I sort of believe that, you know what, um, failure is such a dirty word and everyone's so afraid. And I'm shocked by how many people say like, oh, I wish I could do this or that. And it's like, I'm not special and I'm not a trust fund girl. I didn't come from, you know, independently wealthy. I'm definitely self-made, but I'm just the believer. It's like, even if you quote unquote fail, and I hate that word, you always can go back to your day job or you can just redirect. And so I think that mentality from a young age has always allowed me to just sort of 
take that leap and be willing to do stuff. And even on the back of the bottle, it says embrace life, dream big, accept all invitations. And that's very much my personal philosophy about how I approach life. And it's like, if you, I believe if you like only set this um, bar, you know, of a little bit um, high, then you're never, you don't quite get there. But if you set it really high and aim, um, you know, kind of swing for the fences and aim higher, then it's your increasing your likelihood of success because you're not constrained by convention. And there's so many naysayers. And, you know, I think it's learning to diffuse the no and having the audacity to believe in yourself. Hello, everybody clap for that, right? Embrace the no's. And I agree with you. Every time I've been told no, it either, of course, there's been a lot of moments I got no's. I cried in the closet. I'm going to be real. (laughs) Uh, And then you pick yourself up and you say, why did they say no? Okay, let's fix that so the next one doesn't see that flaw and let's get it done, right? Absolutely. And um, whether it's a no or it's critique, I'm a big believer that critique and criticism are your opportunity for correction. And some people are mean and spiteful or just, you know, not that nice. But most people, if you take what they say and dissect it, it's like, all right, is there some truth in that? And be self-aware enough and not let it break you instead of let it fuel you. Yeah. And I found sometimes we are human, right? And we're sensitive. So let it digest. You have to give yourself a time to have the bad medicine and let it settle, right? And mm-hmm. you just, you got to go back and, and be, hold yourself accountable enough to ask the questions, were they right in any way? Is there any truth in this statement or this feedback that I received? And most of the time, there's some in there. That's why you got mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely, right? Whether you get mad or cry or both, um, it's like process it because, you know, we don't have um, the thick that, you know, we're not made of steel and um, definitely things get to me. But if I, instead look at it as like, all right, this is my opportunity to continue to grow and improve and what's the the bigger picture, then it um, serves me well. And it's, but it's still hard, right? You never want to be critiqued. <laughs> no, no, we're human, you know. And, and now Tanya, take me back to the beginning because I'm always really intrigued because to me, I'm going to be honest with you, this is a very ambitious business to start. I can't even imagine the amount of hurdles just to be approved by the government to be able, right, to be <laughs> first off that part. We know the government, <laughs> right? <laughs> Let's start, you know, they're approved by the government, have an idea, source, you know, your product, get those bubbles in that bottle, make mm-hmm. that beautiful label. All those things. Take me back to that first aha light bulb moment, right? Absolutely. Um, I was an architect and real estate developer before, so didn't come from the space other than I've always loved bubbles. And I, I was living in San Francisco, which is so food and wine centric. And um, this was before Prosecco became such a thing. And so it was like about 10 years ago. And I would look around and it's like, oh, more and more people are starting to drink bubbles. And I always loved that sort of breakfast or dessert, the diversity of occasion. And really just everything that bubbles are about because that pop of the cork just makes everyone smile universally. And so I saw this gap in the category and I was like, you know what? People love champagne, but it's expensive. And certainly I could have gone to Napa, which was right in my backyard, but there's very much that association with champagne in France. And, um, you know, people still say I'm drinking champagne, whether it's Cooks or Andre or Dom Perignon, it's all generically champagne. But unless you're from that specific region of France, you still have to legally call yourself sparkling wine, which is technically what we are. So I um, did my research, put together a business plan, and I 
literally took, gave up my career, took the leap and moved to France with a business plan in hand and figured I would convince somebody to say yes, hopefully, or I'd travel for a year. And I went with my boyfriend at the time. And so it was like, well, it's be a great adventure and a story if nothing else. So um, luckily I met a gentleman named Marcel, you know, stereotypical French. And he really believed in the vision. He's like, you're not from the wine world, but you're the core demographic. And he just kind of took me under his wing and really believed in it because I went with a full thought out plan of what I wanted to do, um, like pricing dynamics, all these things. And so he sort of just said, you know what, you've got a good understanding of the marketplace. So I'm willing to take the time and invest in you. But I look back and to your point, it's like, all of the licensing, like since prohibition, every single state has its own rules and you have to get a license for all 50 states, let alone the federal government. There's um, like ocean freight and logistics and customs and duties. So aside from producing the product, it was everything else. And so the legal and supply chain complexities of doing a global brand is no joke. And um, my naiveness served me well because had I, uh, known what I uh, known then, what I now know, I probably wouldn't have done it. <laughs> but- no, well, yeah. Well, first of all, thank you, Marcel, for for seeing seeing the vision because I'm I appreciate you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> if he's listening. Number two, how about it? Like, I love the fact that you just took that leap. Right, that leap in itself. Most people are shaking in their boots at the thought of trading in that nine to five, you know, you've gone to school, you have this great career and you trade that in, but you trade it in for an experience of a lifetime because you, you were open. You said, I have a plan A, a B and a C, no matter what, it's going to, it's going to be good. And that, that's, that's, that says something mm-hmm. that, that totally says something. It's about perspective. Kind of like what you mentioned earlier. I think that a lot of times we set up ourselves up for failure when we don't, embrace that it's going to be okay no matter what. Mm-hmm. And, right? And I've literally, because there have been some really hard times, especially in the past year, but I'm like, I'm not going to die if my company fails. If that, if if death is your worst case scenario, yes, you might lose all your money, but I also have the confidence that, all right, I've um, self-made, I've done it before, I can do it again. So it's like, worst case, I go back to zero and now I have a much more robust toolbox and connections and all these experiences that you can accelerate forward at a far faster rate than you did the first time. Now, that's still not easy. And I definitely tell people like entrepreneurship, excuse me, entrepreneurship is not for the weak of heart. And not everyone, they a lot of people are great at ideas, but they suck at implementation. And it's a good three to five years before you kind of hit your stride. So you have to be willing to sacrifice quite a bit and get comfortable uh, with a pretty high level of uncertainty in your life. And a lot of people don't realize the challenges that come with that. Right. And don't want to, right? They, everybody, you know, one thing I've learned in entrepreneurship is, and this is fair, it's not a grievance. It's just that we're all human and we all literally have soap operas going on in our own lives, right? And so exactly. <laughs> no matter how great I think anyone is, mm-hmm. my prior problems are going to be priority, right? And sometimes we have to remember that as an entrepreneur that no one cares unless it benefits them. And you literally have to always think about how does this match what other people want or how is it answering their need? And you can never deviate from that. And I, and people for, tend to forget that. And we go through this ebb and flow and this constant roller coaster. And it's for me, it's always been whenever I started doing a little bit too much of what I wanted and forgot about 
that why mm-hmm. or the how. It's I fall off for a second, then I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't care. Let me go back to what they, whoever they are, what yeah. they want. <laughs> and, and that is a constant tug of war in the world of entrepreneurship. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. And coming back to the why is always so important. And I'm sure some of your listeners are Simon Sinek fans, and but it just becomes just much more part of the conversation. And if you aren't clear on your why and constantly come back of like what that vision is, it's so easy to get derailed. And now that's not to say your why doesn't adjust over time, whether it's market conditions or personal growth or things change, but being very clear on that because it helps you weather the really, really difficult times. And you know, the reality is, even if you have phenomenal employees, even if you've got their stakeholders, they've got equity position, it's not the same as being a, a founder. And it's really hard to balance the um, the push-pull. And I was talking to somebody yesterday that just got their second COVID shot and was you know down for the count for three days. But she's like, I'm an entrepreneur. I don't have time to be sick. So she's in bed working versus like so many other people like, all right, I'm just like taking off three days. And so that's just the reality, right? You don't have a lot of space for time off. No, I think you must be a fly on the wall because the conversations we've had as a team this week of me just really, you know, being honest, I'm a, I'm definitely a person who understands reality. And I tell my team, I know this, this company, they're my babies, right? So um, I know they'll never love it how I love it. Right. And it's, it's, it's very personal, right. It's very personal when you see people cutting corners on your brand and your quality and your, what's reflected out. And it's, it's very hard not to be passionate about that. Right. (laughs) Passionate's a good word for it. Right. (laughs) I'm sure our team has other choice words. I'm sure they do. (laughs) However, they learn today. They learn today. Okay. In the words of Kevin Hart, they learned today. But uh, I, I feel your pain. And I, I love that you're a start with a why advocate. I love Simon Sinek. I love um, reminding people that because a lot of times as humans, it's just our nature. We are self-centered creatures, right? And if you have are lucky enough and you do a lot of things that are um, purpose-driven in your brand, which is why another reason why I love it, because come on, you know, how can you not? And I think having those intentions are impactful in so many ways. Why is it that you thought that was important to have different causes and different initiatives uh, throughout your brand? Well, one, in addition to the starts with why, I believe that people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And so it's hard to translate that through, but there's so many amazing brands. And I think we're at a phenomenal time in history as women, as minorities, is that now there's so much more um, awareness and the, like the lens has been turned and people are wanting to support in a far different way. But I think that we have choice and um, maybe you give up a little profit to the bottom line, but I feel like we all have a, um, you think globally, but act locally. And it's like, how can you ultimately help others? And whether it's mentorship and just being available to answer questions or it's monetary, but it's like, hey, we're all part of a bigger community. And I know the struggles of raising capital and trying to build a brand. And um, I, being in real estate development was white male dominated and wine is white male dominated. And so you just get, how do you help others along the way? More Brunch and Slay after this. Raise your hand if you want to grow. No, seriously, like my hand is up. Y'all can't see me, but my hand is up. 
So if you want to grow and you love stretching yourself and doing things and dreaming the impossible dream, then you understand why I'm asking that you share and review and subscribe to the show. That's how we grow. I want to grow brunch and slay. I want more people just like you to hear all the great interviews and information from all these game changers and go-getters. And the only way to do that is more reviews. So I'm asking, help a sister out and leave a review, subscribe and rate the show. And now back to brunch and slay. No, I love that. And so not only are you a mastermind and serial entrepreneur and just a good spirit, you are a person who has the travel bug. Right. You've been to 43 countries. Mm-hmm. I, I have. And uh, I've lived in Asia. I lived in Thailand and um, long, quick side story. But I went there to build a resort. I've lived in Germany. I've lived in France. And so uh, that's actually helped inform a lot of my decisions and opinions about um, your prior question of giving back, because we really are a global society now. And um To me, food and wine are the great common denominator, whether you go to Vietnam and they drink rice wine or, you know, you're in France or Italy and, you know, where wine is an endemic part of their everyday culture. It, you know, you think about that 15 minutes a day to bring people together. That is what we all kind of live for. And I think COVID, um, the, the silver lining is it really helped us reprioritize and show what matters. And so my why has really always been about human connection and bringing people together. I love that. So, of course, I'm a nosy Rosie. So I'd love to know more. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> know more about nosy Rosie drinking rose <laughs> I, all day, every day. No, not not all day, y'all. I, I do wait to happy hour. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but I would love to know more about like what's that process like? From like, how often do you actually sample, and and what is the storage like? You have so many moving parts, and I'm so intrigued. Not only because I love your product, but because I know the undertaking, right? And and have watched your brand evolve and seeing it grow and seeing it more and more stores as I'm out, and I, I, I I'm always like, oh, they're in here now, or they're you know, and I just I just want to know what that process is like when it comes to from grape to bottle, you know, the, you know, the fun stuff and on, on all the nitty gritty. Um, I'll do, uh, try to do the cliff notes version, but, you know, I think first it starts with um, what is your vision and obviously like uh, understanding the gap in the market. And really I saw a gap on price palette and packaging. And so it was intentional and almost reverse engineering based upon this gap I saw specific for French wine. And then it's like, all right, um, because of my architecture design background, I thought make something that looks beautiful, looks expensive. And so that was really my driver because the people drink with their eyes and um, the first thing you see is the visual and then you get to try it. And then hopefully you like it enough that want to repurchase it. But ultimately it really started with um, the, the market gap and potential I saw both domestically and globally. Then it was figuring out what the vision is for the brand and sort of market product fit. And um, then it's figuring out, okay, can I afford this, right? Because sometimes what we want to design is so much more expensive than we can actually afford because, you know, you want to make sure you have enough margins. And I think a lot of people um, have the fallacy of like, oh, I'll make it up on volume and they'll um, 
make something and they're like, all right, I'm just going to sell it cheap. And once I get to enough volume, then I have uh, the economies of scale and I can bring down. Well, if you never get to volume, you're going to go out of business. And so um, trying to be very, very careful about that market pricing and what our cost of goods were versus what the shelf price could be. And, you know, we're all consumers at the end of the day, though I live in the wine industry, I'm a wine consumer too. And, you know, you go into the shelf and even wine connoisseurs, people that collect their average, like everyday Tuesday night wine, they um, are typically spending 14 to $16, which I think is really pretty fascinating because you think about if these are wine people that like kind of hobbyist and love to know versus the soccer mom, maybe that's like, all right, this is just my, you know, every night wine. It's interesting what the, the psychology of price and what people are willing to pay. And it's understanding the Tuesday night versus the Friday night versus the special occasion. And really thinking about all those um, uh, opportunities for drinking and where, where you think that you can lie. And if you're trying to get to scale, so much of it is determined by that shelf price, right? Of like the frequency of purchase that, you know, you are willing to go out and spend. And then it was once I've kind of felt confident with all of those components, then it's like, okay, how do I get from France to California? And it's like, all right, well, I guess you have to go through the Panama Canal. And you're like thinking about all the ocean freight and like it's, it's trucking and ocean freight and brokerage and customs and all of this other stuff. But the probably the hardest thing in alcohol is since prohibition, um, you actually have a distributor in every single state. And so trying to get people to want to represent your brand, because you're like, no, I feel like I have this amazing product that hits on all these other cylinders, but there are so many wines out there. And so how do you prove to this these distributors of why they need you and what you're going to do to ultimately build the brand and differentiate and whether it's social media or purpose-driven and all these things that you're bringing to the table. And shockingly, there's almost there's negligible amount of female owners, but I'm sure you've heard all the statistics that typically women um, purchase about 85% of the goods in the U.S., but yet, because they're still stereotypically doing the grocery shopping or going on Amazon or whatnot, but like mo- like so many other spaces, almost all the things that are being brought to market are made by men. So I've been very intentional of trying to think about me as a female consumer and me as a female brand owner, um, conveying that message to all the men that are making the decisions that going into the distributor book, into the retail stores, into the large scale restaurants. And that's probably been the most challenging part of getting distribution. Um, that and raising capital have been the, the banes of my existence. I can only imagine. No, thank you for sharing that. So as you're progressing and, and now I, I have to ask because I, this is my hot question right now because we've been in this for like, seems like 16 years. Um, what's, your, what's, what's been your pandemic pivot? Because we've all found something to pivot. Like, right? um, Well, we were 70% on-premise, so sold in restaurants and hotels. So it last year was disastrous. And to give context, I'm an open book because I feel like People always highlight the successes, but they don't highlight the struggles. And then it just creates this um, culture of people feeling like they're failing and like, oh, what's wrong with me if they don't understand that everyone else has all these same realities too. But we hit more than 50,000 cases pre-COVID, which puts us in the top you know, 7 to 10% of all wineries. So we were quite large in terms of size, but almost all 
restaurant and hotel, as opposed to being in all the chain grocery stores uh, you know, around the country. And so it really took its toll. So we ended up um, completely restructuring the company and now um, outsourced most of uh, my team to a sales and marketing agency. And so it went from really heavy overhead and fixed expenses because salaries are so expensive and everything else to now I have an agency that represents us as well as other brands. And now I only pay them a percentage of what gets sold. So it's been a little painful because I had an amazing team that I had built, but you know, the gross reality, it's like, do you go out of business or do you restructure? And, um, I think the silver lining is with this new structure, um, this particular, uh, uh, company Pacific Highway, they have really strong relationships with distributors, really strong with the grocery chains and things like that. So I think it'll help us accelerate forward into the retail channel in a more rapid and meaningful way than we'd be able to do on its own, on our own. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's the cool thing. There's so many things. I choose to see the silver linings from mm-hmm. this situation, right? Like you talked about earlier, kind of reprioritizing things that are important, um, having a lot more alone time, you know, um, with family. And it's so funny. I just told my husband last night, he's been working from home this entire time and as well as I always have. And so we haven't choked each other yet. And I cannot believe the fact that we are- <laughs> that Kudos to that. Ra- raise a glass, right? <laughs> It's, it's it's all thanks to you, Tanya. You don't understand. No. <laughs> need that mommy juice to keep yeah, you safe. I do. Right? I do. I need my medicine. That's what I call it. I need my med- mommy needs her medicine. So I literally, I laughed. We, we joked about it last night, seriously, that we've been able to, and we're in a very small space. I don't know, you know, we moved here a couple of years ago from Houston and right when we were getting ready to look, the pandemic happened, you know, all these different variables. And I'm like, what if somebody doesn't have a job? What do we do? You know? So we're in this tiny space and we have gotten alone. And I, I I credit, you know, perspective and bubbles to that, you know. And I think that the silver linings that I'm taking away are that there's always another avenue to get to the to get to the goal, right? There are a million ways to get it. We just have to choose one, right? Absolutely. And pivot quickly, right? And, and make those yep. tough choices, right? Yep. Pivot quickly, fail fast, and um, you know, be willing to take the chance. And, and again, I think that's champagne state of mind. Like you have such a positive infectious personality, no doubt. It's like, all right, yeah, you have hard days and it gets you down, but it's like, when do you just approach things with that positiveness? Um, and it's an, a choice each day, right? Cause so that, that helps make it a lot better as well. No, I agree. I mean, if, if I literally shared and I agree with you, I probably do need to share a lot of the back stuff with the public a lot more. But if you guys had to saw the way 2021 tried to greet me that first quarter, you would be wondering why I'm even still on the microphone. Because when I tell you it came from my business with a vengeance, uh, whatever powers out there don't like me did. And uh, I took a lot of maneuvering and restructuring and training and holding hands and all these different variables just to still be here. So I get it. And it only the strong will survive this, you know, because there's no there's no other way around it. Well, and I've also approached things. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer. It's all about the journey and the good and bad. You wouldn't be who you are today without all the bad as well. And I have very definitively said that all of the struggles throughout my life, it prepared me for this moment, right? Like if, if I hadn't had a bunch of other crap that went wrong, like, I don't know if I would have been able to survive it because um, it, 
like rocked me to the core. And, you know, when you're talking about real humans, it's not just like profitability in dollars and cents, but it's like people's jobs. And when you're an owner, you're uh, responsible for people's livelihoods. And I care so much, probably to a fall, a couple of my guy friends are like, just suck it up, buttercup. And it's like women um, have a, such a different approach to leading teams and which is the strength, but it's also the demise sometimes because you take it so personally and it just kind of rocks you to the core. I agree. I agree. So what's next? What's on the horizon? What should we be looking out for? Yeah. Um, (laughs) Well, hopefully some new products um, down the line. And I actually really want to do um, kind of entrepreneur and female retreats, like food and wine inspired. But I'm like actually thinking very differently because now I don't have all the responsibilities on my plate that I used to. And so that's one of the silver linings of can I maybe look at getting a space with some acreage and be able to do like pop-ups and and maybe like 10, 15 like uh, capacity, just small, but just something different because being that we produce in France, I don't have uh, a winery here in the U.S. and, and uh, you know, won't be able to because all the grapes are there. But I was like, can I re-envision the model and combine my personal and professional passions a little bit more. So we'll see. It's still on the um, the dream board. And actually, when we talked earlier about like setting the bar, I'm a big vision board person. Are, do you vision board? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You absolutely. know I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes, yes, I forgot. And it's like so many people like, you know, don't do it. But I'm a big believer. It's like if you don't uh, dream it and you can't like bring it into existence. And so I always am about, okay, what's, what's next on the big vision board? And how about no. you? What's, what's no. next on your, <laughs> you know what? No one ever asked me that, but <laughs> sorry, so I put you on the spot. <laughs> no, it's so much. I'm glad you asked because I literally the tough conversations with myself and, and realizing, and I'd been struggling with it for a couple of years about where to go with the brand and what's the next pivot. And I think I've fine tuned that. And I have some news that I'm going to share. I can't, sh- I'll tell you as soon as we hang up, but okay. it has to do with the show and the direction we're going in. I think that you all listening are going to love it. By the time you hear this, it'll be very close and it'll probably be announced by then. But um, yeah, we're definitely changing a lot about Brunch and Slay. And as you guys know, I own a digital media agency and that's been taking a lot of my time and a lot of, but Brunch and Slay feeds my soul. You know, having these kind of talks with Tanya and and powerhouse women like her have changed me so much. We've done over, I've done over 200 interviews with women like you, you know, phenomenal women. Right. And and to have that pour into me, like right, the energy that I get from these conversations makes me keep going. I don't think I'd still be here if I hadn't started this podcast. Well, and I think um, being vulnerable and more transparent, like that's one of the most important currencies. And I, too, get a lot from these types of things because it normalizes and it makes it feel like, oh, it's not just me. And one of my big suggestions and whether you're an entrepreneur or an aspiring entrepreneur or just life in general and like balancing belong to a group. Like I have a mastermind group and an entrepreneur group. And I say that was my saving grace because suddenly I did not feel like, oh, it's just me, like everyone else that was struggling. It just made it feel so much more manageable. And you could bounce ideas. It's like, hey, I'm struggling with this. Like, what do you think? And especially during COVID, it was super important. But even pre-COVID, I just found it very powerful and it helps you up level and sort of amplify too, because it's like, hey, I need 
you know, I'm, this is my next step for the business. Do you have any suggestions or whatnot? And so I think um, these types of things are such great resources because it, A, it inspires and B, it gives people great ideas. Yeah. And I think you're you're hitting and you're right, heading in the right direction with the retreats. I definitely think that travel is going to take on a whole new meaning after this because there's going to be a lot more remote work. Um, and I don't know if you're aware of this. Free people, the brand Free People, they do a ton. Or they used to before the pandemic. They did these massive retreats like in Bali and Thailand. Who would have known, right? Yeah. It's, it's, I stumbled across it on their website. I saw a link once and then somehow I got on the email list and I thought, how cool is this? So you're on the right you're on the right path with that. I think I would totally be there. I would love to go. Yeah, right. <laughs> maybe yes. we'll do a collaboration. <laughs> yes, maybe. But no. So of course, you know, I have to know this. This Saturday, you can brunch with anyone in the world, dead or alive. Who are you brunching with? Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh, yeah. Just, just to think of what she th- th- did for women or just society too, but what she struggled with and all the changes she saw, you know, whether you're talking about civil rights and equal rights and all these things, and then up to like the current realities, like she just a phenomenal voice. And we need way more or Oprah. like her. <laughs> come on. Can come, right? You can't go wrong with either one of those. And we need more of that, especially right now. We need it. We need it. We need people who are willing to stand up despite whatever consequences it has on their social ramifications. That's what we need you know, stand up for what's right. So now I, I know people are, are loving this. So how can they follow you? Where can they find you and, and support um, you? Uh, I think we have a, a pretty great Instagram and Facebook. So uh, Legrand Cortage, which is L-E-G-R-A-N-D-C-O-U-R-T-A-G-E.com, kind of a mouthful, or Trachic Rosé. And um, yeah, just check us out. And on our website, uh, which is also legrandcortage.com, we've got to find our wine. So you can just put in your zip code and it'll highlight where you can find us across the U.S. And it helps a lot if you actually ask your local retailers, believe it or not, because so many of them don't know who we are. So ask away um, because then maybe they'll actually bring us in or do a special Absolutely. for you. Absolutely. And I and I can tell you guys, I can vouch because I've had way more of the grand cortege than I probably even want to announce on this show. But it is delicious and no headaches. Like I know a lot of people think they get, you know, you get headaches from from champagne and, and sparkling wine or Prosecco, whatever the case may be. But no headaches. Uh, Trey Chic is delicious, too. My sister loves Trey Chic. Um, so, yeah, it's delicious. That's all I can say. Thank if you're in you. Dallas, you can go to World Market. They always have it at World Market, even the smaller bottles. I think campus H-E-B hotel and Central. Yeah, um, yes, there. Central Market, HEB, and I think that Canvas Hotel here in Dallas might have picked y'all up too, if I'm not mistaken. Right. I, so I, yes. I I should know, but it's hard to know when you're uh, all the places, but uh, I appreciate the compliment. And really my whole approach was how do you make something that's an affordable everyday luxury that's crisp, light, refreshing, sort of baby bubbles. It has that dryness and acidity, but it's nice fruit and floral components. And so I really tried to make something that hits that mid-range palette and appeals to everyone. Sort of like Goldilocks. It's just right. Right. That's right. <laughs> you're right. You're right. So, you know... <laughs> But, you know, the one of the things that is so important to me, because I know your schedule, I know how life is right now, and I know we are all putting on a brave face. So I have to know, because you've given to us so much right now, what vibes and prayers can we send your way to help you navigate along your journey? 
I love that. Um, I think just uh, share with a friend because the more and more people help us rebuild after last year. And I think uh, if we can give each other the prayer of abundance and that's, Mm -hmm. and you know, life and prosperity and love. And it's like, that's really, I think abundance is what we all need. And, uh, and our, actually our philosophy um, aside from the embrace life dream big, our whole sort of campaign this year centers around living joyously. And I think that as we all look forward to the future, it's going to be like the roaring twenties and people really are going to be looking for a lot of joy. So that would be my final thought for each of you is just, you know, despite all the challenges, just live joyously, find the something to celebrate and elevate the everyday. I I can't say anything else to that, but well said, right? (laughs) Hey, and I I received that abundance and I'm sending it right back your way because I I love it. I love, I love your vibe, Tanya. Thank you. Thank you for being on the show. This was so fun. We could talk for hours. We really could. I think we should have some, we should be at a bar with some, some cheese and, you know, some nice little bites. But, you know, I want you guys, if you take nothing else away from this show and any other show we have, but especially today, because I think we talk about our climate and how it's really affecting us as, as people out here creating, you know, and building empires, right? If she can, I can, we all can. And don't stop doing it. And until next time, yes, cheers to that. This is Brunch and Slay. 